What's up, world? Welcome to the Shape of a Star podcast, where everyone has a story. We just need to shape it so that we're the star, or something like that. So today, we have on one of the, what I guess I would call more, not illustrious, but prolific guests, I would say, because you see his face places, you may recognize him in some little clips here and there. He's done a lot, and he's here. So let's just bring him on. So everyone, please welcome Alex Penicky. Oh my god, I screwed it up. We went over this. Oh, you got it right the second time. So you know, the second time's a charm. So good, good for you. You know. <laughs> Anyways, hey but thank Alex. You for that, that, hello, thank you for that lovely introduction. That was that was fantastic. I'm prolific. Wow, I'm, I feel honored. You know. So I mean, it's not untrue. We have seen your face places. That we have, that we have. Hopefully more places to come and um, more variety of roles, but, you know, we'll touch on that. Yeah, so roles. So tell us, <clears throat> tell us about you real fast, that whole bio thing. That's, yeah, a, a quick bio for me. Well, my name is Alexander Penicky. That's the state, that's my name that I go by as an actor. Um, but you can call me Alex, of course. And um, I am a film, television, theater actor. I went to George Mason University with our host. And I once graduated, said, hey, let me go give acting a try. And I moved up to Long Island, where I currently am, which is not far from the city. And I've been pursuing acting since. I've been on shows such as NBC's The Blacklist. AMC's turn, and there's a film that I was just in called Painkiller, starring uh, Michael Pere and Bill Oberst Jr. That is currently in Walmart on DVD, and uh, well, everywhere DVDs are sold, wherever they're sold, and um, Amazon Prime and other you know similar streaming services. So I'm pretty excited about all that. So. And don't forget your National Liberty Tax commercial. Oh, yeah, my Liberty Tax commercial. That is a crazy thing about commercials. Maybe we can talk about later and how they work nowadays. But that was still a lot of fun. And uh, I got to pretend to wax this guy's back in that commercial. It was interesting. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, I would love to hear the, the the movie magic of how on earth you fake wax someone. <laughs> well, um, you want to talk about that now? I can. Sure. Yeah, Go okay. Well, here's the thing. Um, the guy actually they brought in was actually not hairy at all, but he was a big hulking kind of guy, a real, mm-hmm. real nice guy. Uh, we stay in touch. And uh, they put on like, it was almost like this a mesh uh, thing they glued on his body and like then hair. It was like a very interesting process to watch as he slowly became more and more hairy and like grizzly bear like. And then in the scene where I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm this like, I guess you'd say this like college, high school, college age kid who thinks, oh, cool. I'm going to be able to like wax. I'm at this, I'm working at this waxing place. It's going to be all these beautiful women and stuff like that. And then in walks this big hairy guy. And that's the joke. And um, that was a lot of fun. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How long did it take to make him hairy? Um, Honestly, it was like an hour long process. If I recall, it's been a while that I did that a several years ago. It was one of the last things I did in Virginia before I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was like an hour long process for him because they had to, you know, make the glue, let it set on his skin, stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. An hour isn't too bad, though. 
compared yeah. to what I hear for like so many other things, like all the prosthetics, you have to have an hour for the face masks and when oh. you have nose straw paper mache your face. Oh yeah. If if this was something maybe more akin to like um, one of those zombie shows or um, I don't know something more uh, sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, it would have it would have taken a long time. But to, just for him to have like this hair mat put on him, and they really didn't have. It was really just his his back, if I recall, because they they never showed his front really. And then like then the scene cuts to him on his you know laying on his stomach, as I like you know, stand over him getting ready to pull this hair off of him. It's just, <laughs> it, it was, it was really funny. That was a great one. For character research, did you get waxed? I did not. I did not. I was a bad method actor. I didn't go and take those extra steps. And I think it shows in my performance. You know, people can tell I'm not really like, I'm not really immersed in the world of, of waxing. And I think it came across, you know, no, no, really. <laughs> if, if it had been something maybe high, you know, more, more paying. And I was, you know, it, to certain degrees, I just go in for the commercials. More or less, I go in to get the paycheck and move on. To know? be fair, I feel like sometimes in the commercials, they don't even tell you what you're doing until you show up. To an extent, yes, you're right about that. In my audition, it was just like, okay, you know, this is this is what happens. My audition, I really just had to come in, pretend like I just walked on to the into this place, and and basically go through the lines with a casting director who. She was good. I, I remember the casting director. She was good. She actually happened to be also one of the filmmakers for that one. Um, but sometimes the person who's reading on the other end is just some volunteer or or they're maybe not a, a skilled actor. And you really have to dig deep and say, all right, well, maybe um, I have to give them give the audition my all when I'm on set. I'll be across, I hope, from somebody who's more more skilled, you know, um, casting director's job is not to not to give you this great performance you can act off of it to see is this person right for the role so they are not the enablers Mm-mm. to make you do their best <laughs> no they're not no they're not but um but yeah cast and directors all sweet people um they have a tough job a lot of pressure on them so and, and uh you know i appreciate them i frequently thought about the pressure of having the select especially not only just for commercials because commercials are literally selling so much and you have to appeal to the entire country most of the time if and beyond because half the time commercials go across countries in these days oh yeah oh yeah yeah no um i i've auditioned for less commercials than i have tv roles stuff like that or maybe short films or or feature films um whether i get it for myself or whether my agent or manager sends it my way and um i think i think with commercial i think with anything you audition for you're really just trying to meet the look, so to speak. I mean, the acting comes into play, but it's more about what look are we going for here. But for a commercial, it's really about what's going to sell this product. Is it If it's mouthwash, if it's toothpaste, if it's soap, who do we think is best to sell this whatever product, you know? So it's, you can't take it, you can't be offended or take it personally if you don't get cast. Um, I know, I know many times, and I don't always find out why. I'd never usually find out why, so it's not worth asking. But um, a couple of times, I know I wasn't picked because I wasn't old enough. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have red hair. I didn't. I didn't have enough facial hair. You know, it is these things I can't change. You know, so your height, not height. Your yeah, height, but height's yeah. always one. 
Height's not as important in film and television. In fact, a lot of actors you and I love uh, are, are short people or average people. But um, but yeah, it can come into play. You know, if, if you're if, if the lead actress is five foot eleven or six feet or something, and you're five foot eight or whatever, then you you know it might not uh might not play. But there's there's ways of getting around that. There's there's boxes, you know, Apple boxes and stuff like that. Lifts, mm-hmm. lifts. You see Robert De Niro in one of his movies, The Irishman. He's in like six inch like platform shoes. He looks like, I don't know, he's going on like some like Alice Cooper like cover band thing. You know, it's, just, it's, it's crazy. So, yeah. Now, I always think of height because that's definitely the first thing I would need. In <laughs> if I ever went into the industry, which is a whole slow, huge deterrent for me because I was like, wow. you know, I'm never going to be tall enough for most things. So, you know. What are you, five, six, five, seven? Five, five. Okay, you're not, you're not that short. Um, I I don't know the heights of various actors and stuff like that too too much. Although I have looked at it because it's you know it's an intriguing topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some famous people that I'm sure are. You probably will never find the right answers on any of this stuff, you know. But like they're probably close to that. So yeah. No, I know Tom Cruise is five seven. Yeah, he's he's, he's short. I, I I've heard. Uh, I I know. Uh, my acting coach in Virginia Beach. Uh, I was. I used to study with Keith Flippin in the uh, actor's place down in Virginia Beach when I just graduated. Oh, actually, this is before I graduated uh, in the summer. And uh, he did Minority Report with uh, Tom oh. Cruise. So he met him. He met him. So he can attest to Tom Cruise's real height. And um, I know Louis Tan is six two. Wow. Well, that's a big difference. You know? you it know? is. And the only reason I know that is because people always ask him. Like they see him in interviews and like he always gets interviews on red carpets when I see his mm-hmm. stuff. And they're mm-hmm. always like, Oh wow. You really are as tall as you look. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot that, you know, look, uh, Liam Neeson, uh, Keanu Reeves, you know, but, but these are, these are rare. Most of the time, um, honestly, uh, being a little shorter, um, I don't know if that's still the case, but as, as a man, uh, probably as a woman too, uh, being a little shorter, uh, can look better on camera because you, you just take up less of the frame, you know, and it's a little easier to shoot you. That's, that's, that's kind of why, oh. um, the cam. that's why the camera likes, you know, uh, those types of people. Marlon Brando wasn't tall. Humphrey Bogart wasn't tall. Um, and a lot of people nowadays are not that tall. So, yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. I never thought yeah. about the whole space of the frame because you're totally right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, all right, let's go to the actual questions. I'm sure okay. we'll circle back to this at some point. Somehow. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but so you're an actor by trade, which we went over. But mm-hmm. how did you find your passion for acting? That is a good question. And it's funny because I asked myself that same question right before I moved to New York as I was looking through papers that I had saved in a box in my closet from like high school and middle school. When I was in middle school, like eighth grade, I guess you could like pick the courses you were interested in taking your freshman year of high school. You know, those sheets they make you fill out. You go through the catalog and stuff. Remember, I run those sheets. Exactly. So you a hundred percent? No, you know. (laughs) Well, for whatever reason, I had written down, um, like stage, like some sort of stage hand, like lighting, stage, backstage guy. And I'm sure had I taken that, I wound up not taking it in high school. I guess I forgot and never came back until later. Um, I would have eventually gotten into acting a little sooner. It's fine. When I got into it when I did. But um, prior to that, I, I always was kind of 
I don't want to say it sounds arrogant to say a natural, but there were times where we would do stuff like skits in English class and stuff like that. And I'd always take a commanding sort of role and like have fun with it and people made people laugh. And um, when I was in college, I had an open for, um, you know, how they want you to take an arts class, take, take a history, take it doesn't matter your major. I, I was like, oh. Yeah, I had to take an arts class. And so I'm like flipping through the catalog. And I close my eyes and I put my finger down and I open my eyes. And acting one, I'm like, huh. I think it was actually acting three, and I'm like, okay, acting. And I flip back a page, acting one. Oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I think I'd like that. You know, that would be fun because I'm taking all these science courses, these dry science, physics, and bio and stuff. So I went and I took it, and I fell in love. I don't know what to say. You know, I took it with uh, David Gaines at George Mason. Uh, he, he's a he's a former mime. Well, I guess he, you never once a mime, always a mime, I guess. But, you know, because yeah. he, he, he's a mime still. But but he uh, he was a great teacher. And rest is history. Uh, I hate using cliches. <laughs> we have to sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but uh, here's a question, actually. Is there any other professor in the theater department other than David Gaines? Because he's the only one I ever hear about. David Gaines is a lovely guy. That's why he's a fantastic teacher. You know, miming is not something you usually... I think miming turns a lot of people off, but honestly... I think learning that skill, I never learned it, but learning that skill can have a lot of, um, can pay dividends into theater at least, you know? It um, translates to so many places, my I'm skills. I'm sure it's very helpful. It, it certainly helped him. But um, uh, I took class with Mary Lecter. Um, she is married to um, Kevin, or, or partnered with Kevin Murray. Um and they're both teachers there. They both, I think, went to University of Maryland. If I, if I could be wrong, but they were they. I took acting two with Mary, and then I took a class called like audition techniques for stage and screen. That's what it was called exactly, with Kevin Murray. And um, they were fantastic teachers and and great mentors. I was going to take more acting classes and get a minor in it, honestly. But by the time that was happening, I was like, all right, I'd rather just graduate and just go take classes elsewhere. But um, not that I would, I would have loved to have taken more um, with Ed Giroux and stuff like that. I was going to take, um, Ed Giroux is a great teacher. He teaches at, uh, or at least he used to, I think, Oh, he's involved very heavily with the DC theater scene. I don't know if he teaches elsewhere, but he, he's a great teacher, too. Yeah, so you literally just stumbled upon it. Stumbled in, yeah. It, it's funny. Um, some of my friends who were more, I guess you would consider jockey types, you know. But, yeah, that's I, I don't like using these sort of terms. I think people can be all a little of everything. But, um some of my friends at uh, at Mason who I used to sit and eat dinner with, they, they, you know, so liked, you know, I would talk about acting and stuff and they, they thought it was sounded so cool. They actually wound up taking acting one. And uh, so I, I inspired some people, you know? Uh. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm great. No, I'm kidding. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so with all the stuff you've done with acting, because mm -hmm. I would say you're like a relatively successful actor. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting been, there. You've been in the biz for how long now? Like 10 years? Not, not 10 years. Maybe a little less. I would say when I started taking it at classes at Mason, I wasn't really taking it ser like too, too seriously. Like I loved it, I, but I didn't think that was something you could pursue. I'd say my time pursuing this really started 
right when I got out of college, I really started to heavily pursue it. So let we'll say on the more conservative side, five years, but if we want to be more realistic, maybe like six or seven years. Okay. So, and yeah. look, you, one, you haven't quit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, so that alone, because like That's I hear, point. like I've known and I've seen and I've heard about all these people that just moved to LA and New York trying mm. to make it. They're done in two years. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Well, I, you know, you don't, I don't blame them because it is so hard, so competitive. And it's, it's oftentimes tough to, to the rejection can be crushing. Um, but like I said previously, it's not, it's not you. Um, it could be something very silly that you didn't get cast for, you know? So. Oh yes. Like I've seen so many people talk about like just interviews mm -hmm. of like actors and stuff. And Oh, for those who don't know, cause I don't think I've said on the podcast anymore. I love watching people get interviewed. I love right. daytime talk. So they're always talking about like, stuff like this <laughs> and like they're talking about like, oh, I wrong the wrong color shoes that day, and they couldn't yeah. see me as the character. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, it's amazing what can not get you cast and what can get you cast. And um, I've heard various little story, little stories about like why certain people didn't get cast, too good looking for the what, what. I mean, it's all who knows, it's all conjecture. But I did um, you know, I, I've heard of some crazy stories as to why people did get cast, you know. Um, Barbara Streisand, I think, when she was going in for her first theater, big theater role on Broadway, came in chewing gum. I think I read this in a book, in a book, a great book for anyone who's an actor who wants to read my first act book I ever read, best acting book I've ever read, Audition by Michael Shirtliff. Read that book. But um, there's a story in it where Barbara Streisand, um, she came in chewing gum. And they were like, it's, you know, can you take that gum out? And I guess she did her, she, she's like, oh, she took the gum out and she put it under the chair. You know, so you think, okay, there's no way this woman's going to get, this girl's going to get the role. And she did her singing and it was all very great and her acting, whatever. And then they went up on stage and they checked under the chair and there was no gum. So she was so good at selling that totally unrelated thing to the part that they gave her the part based on that, you know? So risks take risk taking can pay off. I wonder if she put the gum back in her mouth. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not wasting this, you know. She like I snuck that out and like somehow, yeah, snuck it past them. But yeah, <laughs> fascinating though. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, all these little tidbit stories you find out in the most interesting ways in books Absolutely. and just I don't know daytime talk. Great place sure. to be. Uh, but what's your favorite role that you've done so far? Okay, so I think we have to divide theater and film, but or film TV to one category, theater to another to answer this question. But I would say, I would say um, for theater, it was at um, there was like a, a year hiatus between uh, going coming up here and being in Virginia, where I did community theater. You know, I, I was like, if I'm going to be a good actor, I better do some theater and get that under my belt. And I was lucky enough. And uh, thankfully, people put their trust in me um, to ca be cast in several projects. And one of those was Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Tennessee Williams' Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in the role of Brick. Um, and that's that's a huge role. Paul Newman actually played in the movie and on stage at one point. And um, I, I just loved – there's just talented people no matter where you go. And my cat – my cast in Cat on the Hutton Roof in Norfolk, Virginia, at the Little Theater of Norfolk, um, were fantastic. They were 
it was such a great learning experience, um, especially the man who played Big Daddy, because um, I had a lot of scenes with him. Um, I learned so much from watching him, and he's at a different. He was at a different stage in his life. He was in his, I think, sixties at the time. So I, I think that brings a gravitas to a role that someone younger like me doesn't quite have yet. You know, um, just getting to watch him was fantastic. TV wise, I have to say the I, I would just have to say the blacklist because that's my first larger role, and I got you know I got to the whole experience. I got my little. It wasn't a trailer, but it was like the next best thing. It was like a. I don't think they needed trailers here. They, it was a big warehouse where we shot. Um, mm. and I had uh, I had my own room, and uh, I, they brought me to the like eat beforehand. It was like it was like everything you could ever want, and you know then they bring you down to make they bring you down to makeup first actually, and then you know I get changed and stuff. That was a beautiful experience. So really, they put you on makeup before outfits. It's funny, you know. Well, they, they I think they put me in my. If I recall, they put me in my outfit. They put my makeup on, and then we went to eat. And I wasn't supposed to mess up my makeup. Now I could have that met wrong, but I think it's because we went to the we went to this church where they had the. I guess they rent out churches a lot. Maybe it's cheaper. Um, that's where they had the food set up. And then we got back in the van and they brought me to set. So I guess if anything had happened, they could do little touches, they touch ups there. Cause they have a wardrobe person and a makeup person on set, like catering to you, spraying your hair if you needed. And, um, but I think they, they put me in everything and then they just kind of put something over me just in case I spilled. Like if I was like a pig and I just like dug, like, yeah. like put my face down in the food, but you know, all, all was well. I didn't, I didn't wind up doing that. So. No, because in the marching band world too, no, we tell the kids all the time like avoid eating at all costs. <laughs> you teach you teach marching band at, at your school too? Uh not at my school, but other schools nearby. Wow, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. That's uh I'm oftentimes interested. Um some of the guys I work with in my current uh job um are also teachers and it's funny, they teach at one school and then they go coach football, baseball, whatever they coach at a very, at another school. You know, I guess it's tough to get in, be the teacher, a teacher and a coach at one school. My school's uh, private and small. Okay. So I go teach the public high schools. So I'd have marching yeah. band. Okay. Okay. Well, they, they probably have a big, yeah, they have a big, big capacity for that type of thing. Yep. Good for you. I'm glad yeah. it's working out for you. Oh, I'm having a ball. And the listeners know <laughs> if they made it this far to episode 33 and they're listening chronologically, they've heard me talk a lot about guard. I, I, I bet they have. I bet they have. It's, it's good to hear you're doing something you enjoy. And, uh, you know, cause I, I know some people that aren't so um, mm. happy for you. Yeah. Definitely Thanks. happy for you. Oh, by the way, we're 34, not 33. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Liar! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't want to age you. Don't want to like have that affect your roles. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, they'll say, wait a minute. It was a week. It was a week later in the episodes, and you know, I don't know. I don't know how that would happen, but okay. I understand. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but so you've done. As you already said, you've done a lot of different work in the acting world. You did film, commercial, stage. So what would you say are like the big differences between the median mediums Me mediums? Um, so commercial, uh, it, it's tough because the commercial was non-union. 
and it was a virtual. It was a. It was for like YouTube and online online uh, places, whatever uh, streaming services. Uh, and uh, the TV show was Union, so it's very serious. There's a lot more people working. I'm not saying that the commercial wasn't, but um, I would like to be able to compare a Union commercial to a Union voiceover to a Union. Um, but I haven't done one of all of those yet, and eventually I'm sure I will. But um, I think the main difference between film and the- theater that is obvious to probably most of your listeners if they've done it is you get multiple opportunities to get the film and TV stuff right. You know, you don't want to keep messing up like for an hour. They're going to be like, never hire this guy again. You know, he's a professional, I thought. But with theater, I did theater because it's a stamina thing. It's I, I compare it to track and field a lot. You know, I, I ran track at Mason. Yep. And. I was a sprinter, and um, I was more of a 60, 100, 200-meter guy, but I never had quite had the ability to run the 400, not because I couldn't, I ran out of breath or anything. I never learned it. Had I learned to have the stamina to run, I don't want to say stamina, had I learned to have, like, the ability to run the 400-meter dash, to get very good at the – it's a one-lap race. It's a very difficult race. If I'd learned to run that, my 200-time, my half-a-lap would have improved. My 100-time, my quarter-lap would have improved. Everything would have improved from the top down. So when you do theater and you're expected to memorize – pages upon pages of lines and do them truthfully night after night, sometimes two performances in a, in a day, um, you learn an endurance and an ability to um, to continue to, to really form a character that will make film and TV, maybe not easy, but it will certainly make, um, <clears throat> sorry, make it seem like, um, not even close to theater. I don't. I don't want to say easy, but it will definitely make it seem maybe a little. I, I guess the only word is easier. It's going to make it easier. You know, you know. <laughs> you just go there. You know. But film and TV is is a different medium too. The camera's right here. You know. So I can't be theater. I can't be theater big. Yep. Uh, I can't do that in film and TV. You know. They'll be like, well, "What are you doing? That's ridiculous." Joni Benson actually said a lot about that when she was filming the voice of Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Really. They found her because she was a theater person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, cool. Here, come to the booth, sing Party of Your World, blah, 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 whatever. Party of Your World wasn't even like officially in the movie at that point. They just needed her to record something. Really? So she started singing it. And they were like, oh, okay. Well, one, you're blowing out our mics. Two, <laughs> <laughs> like, remember, it's not a giant theater you're filling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's like, oh. And she had to like, that's how they had to like dim the lights to be like under the sea and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they just like had to help get her like into the intimacy of the space. Sure. Rather than just like filling up a theater. <laughs> It's it's true, you know. You you and and even your your motions and actions need to be need to be heightened. You know, when I I know your your listeners are not gonna are not gonna be able to see me do this, but when <laughs> I let's say mm, go to grab a sheet of paper off the table and I'm 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 angry at the person on the other side of the desk, you know, I might I might take more forceful larger steps and grab the paper and pull it off and maybe i'll i'll do a full swing off you know where i take this piece of paper and i pull it around almost you know around my own i I don't know how to describe that but i'm doing like a i'm doing like fuller motions you know they might be more akin to what real life might be a little tiny bit but on on camera they wouldn't be able to follow me with a camera for that and they would look too too much you know so Mm -hmm. everything you do um 
sh needs to show up more on the face more than anything. And very subtle things can can um, really really shine on camera. That's real film and TV acting. Yes, so. emoting and just mm -hmm. knowing your face is the biggest thing. Also, fun story. I was actually looking at facial expressions for like a, a lesson today. Right. So I spent like hours on YouTube looking at <laughs> examples <laughs> of just like theater videos on the facials, dance videos on facials. And I'm like, oh my God. Perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. So thematic. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it definitely, so you know, you know, you, you, it's, it's, uh, it's so different. And, um, Oh, another, you know, um, another medium I've done is music videos and, and, you know, that's, that's like, yeah, it's basically film. And, and, um, we had a lot of fun with one of these music videos I did. It was for this, uh, band called state champs and I played a lifeguard and, um, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was definitely very cool to have that. That was one of my larger gigs I booked when I first came to New York. And honestly, I booked that for myself. A lot of the things that I've booked have been booked on my own. You know, you have to kind of find a way to take that initiative. And um, I can explain if you'd like, or if you'd like to move to a different question. Oh no, um, keep going. This is yeah. Um, so there's two major websites you'd want to probably get on when you come to New York or LA, and those are probably more New York. You'd say backstage. That is the classic. You know, that that's where you used to go to the little like magazine stands and pick that up every. Uh, this is what I've been told by you know more more seasoned actors. You used to go you used to go buy paper every week or something, I, I guess, and and that's where you'd look for for jobs. But now it's online, backstage, very important. But eventually you're going to get to a point where I feel like you'll say, "All right, I don't need backstage anymore." But you decide when that is for you. I I, I don't use it as much anymore, but I did get some bigger things on it. Um, and then actors access, you have to have actors access. And the reason you do is because once you get an agent or manager, which I know we'll touch on, um, they have a separate, they have like a separate portal called Breakdown Express that they can only see because they don't want everyone and their mother and their grandmother auditioning for like Avengers, you know? Yeah. So, so they have access to things. I have access to certain things. Actors access is important. And then maybe casting networks. It's called LA Casting out in LA. That's more for commercials. Um, I don't use that as much, but I have an account just in case, you know, for my agents. You never know. Never know. Yeah. You like even, I think, backstage i think i have a backstage account just because it's yeah. fascinating to look at what's in like the dc area i love backstage because it has um articles and you, you get to learn from like agents that will do like little interviews and stuff i think backstage is it's really important when you're starting up now i look at the stuff like okay i know most of this but also if you're in the dc dmv area i don't know if this is still the one but this is what i used when i was there um it's called dragonuck uh, Brian Dragonuck, Dragon, it's Dragon, like the animal, <laughs> the, the mythical animal, UK, Dragon UK. Um, I, I think that's still the main thing. Now, I'm not sure. Um, sadly, Mr. Um, Dragonuck passed away a few years ago, but um, I think that it's still widely utilized in that dragonuckconnects.com mm -hmm. there you go yeah that that was super helpful when i was in virginia i got all my first background work and learned about all that through dragonuck so i i, I highly recommend that as long as it's the same publication I, the same thing that i remember it at, to be you know so. i don't know i just googled uh <laughs> <laughs> but 
Well, this is all good stuff in case you do have listeners in all parts yeah. of the world. But I will ask this. Okay, when you're filming a music video, right. how... Like, okay, I don't, I didn't see the music video you were in, but okay. I just can only imagine how hard it is to just like background act while you have the speaker blaring the song and the person fi- like lip syncing half the time. And like, <laughs> you're doing the skills pretending to be in the world of the music video, and half the time the singer's breaking the fourth wall while you're like doing whatever. Right, right. It's funny because one part of the day was just, they didn't play anything. It was just, they were getting that and they would, they would put the music, they dubbed the music over later in post when they edit it together. So for part of it, it was just me doing whatever they had me do, which tended to be some, some elaborate stuff, but, um, we worked it out, I guess. And then, um, later on that night, there is a scene where they actually had the band, they, they, they played the music on a speaker and the band was lip syncing and pretending to play. And we had to act at the same time. So they have multiple cameras to pick up different action. Like me and I was the lead male. There was a lead uh, a female actor. And, and she and I had a kissing scene. And um, at the same time, all these people are playing. Um, they're doing uh, bumper cars. It was at like a little carnival thing. It was at a water park um, with a, with like a you know with like bumper cars and stuff too. That was wow. such a blast. Yeah, we got to like ride the rides and stuff and like do the bumper cars. And I, I had a lot of fun with a lot of like really talented people that day. That was that was a day to remember for sure. Yeah, yeah, but still, I can only imagine just like there's so much going on in music videos. It's it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's not. If, if you have a good crew and they're they're organized, which these people were, and I think he'd done, um, the director had done many different uh, music videos before, they know what they're doing. Um, you just do, you just focus on what you have to do, which for me was um, uh, make out with this girl. Or in another scene, I had to like dance with this, like, like I was a lifeguard, like this little inflatable thing. And, you know, it, very much like film and TV, about as complicated as film and TV. So, okay. yeah, not not too bad, not too bad, not as bad as you'd think. So, but I get why you'd think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in an earlier episode, we had on mm-hmm. Ellis Gage, who is like a theater actor in the New York scene. Very cool. uh, he came on and discussed that everyone is like schema, which is like stereotype. Schema is like a psych word, but it means stereotype. Oh, okay, yeah. Into characters that people can believably play. If I were to be typecasted, what mm-hmm. roles would you comfortably say that you would quote fit? Interesting question because some people consider me to be a leading man, and then I've had a few people say that I'm more of a character actor. But I think I think here's the thing: you have to be honest with yourself. You have to look at yourself and say, "Who am? Who am I?" You know. Um, to your question. Um, I think I can play a leading man. I think I can play those types of roles. I think also I would be too bored just playing that kind of role all the time, you know? So I, can I think I can play, you know, I, I act to want to play characters. It's, um, you know, you, you look at like Leonardo DiCaprio, who's a good looking person, but he can also play these cra- crazy characters out of, out of the blue, like out of, you know, like uh, the ordinary characters. Um, that's what, that's what we're here to, to do, you know? So I, I think I could see myself playing some of those characters he plays. I think I could also play, play con men, you know, um, guys on the wrong side of the law. I could play a guy who, um, 
maybe um, something oh, that would be like something akin to the blacklist. You know, I'd like to play a guy who maybe is on like the wrong side of the law. He's like a, maybe like a guest starring part in an episode of a TV show. It'd be really cool if I was like a guy who was on like the wrong side of the law, but I was like good friends with like the main detective. And maybe I was like an informant or something, you know, so I like go into that under that, that like that dark underworld of the of society. But like I'm also like a good guy, you know, ambiguously good, bad characters like the Not- Godfather. What's that? I said narc. Exactly. Yeah, whatever. You know. You know. <laughs> the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hey, the like the Godfather. You know, he, well, you look at Marlon Brando in that role. You know, he's and and um, listen to me, Marlon. I'm not like a Marlon Brando like like worshiper. I think that there are many great actors who can hold a candle to his his acting but i think you gotta admit he was very good in that role and uh it was tailor made for him um Mm -hmm. or he made it tailor fit for him tailor made for him himself you know and um he's you know he's this like mobster but he's also a nice guy you know with a sensitive side so i think those are more realistic people you know um i think I read Mickey Rourke, a favorite actor of mine who's had a tumultuous career, um, but he's probably my favorite actor. Um, he's, he's a guy I would put myself uh, in the same vein as, um, well, at least when he was younger. Um, but uh, he took a role in Iron Man, and there's an interview where he basically kind of lamented the fact that he didn't like how one-dimensional his villain felt. He wanted to make him more rounded and i think that's what brando was able to do with the godfather and and a guy like mickey rourke who comes from the same school as brando to an extent um the school of thought in acting um would i you know i i would say that i'm following down that same path i'd like to follow down that same path that would be a dream come true um at least from how i act and want the type of actor i'd like to be is that kind of actor something real you know and luckily, I think the media is catching on the media literacy and writing more well-rounded characters compared to characters of yore, I guess. Characters <laughs> of yore, yeah. It's funny you say that, because I think at a time in the 70s, they really, I think after that 60s, you know, the that that whole hippie generation, they there was this filmmaking of the 70s that was very gritty and and the characters were really well fleshed out and you had these Pacino characters and these Dustin Hoffman characters. And, and then you come, you De Niro a little bit later and, and, you know, you have these, these characters that are very real, you know? And I think, I think with the commercialism that we have nowadays, we've lost a little bit of that. And hopefully, you know, the independent world has always been a place to go for people in that, for who seek those types of opportunities. So I hope that, um, change will happen for the better and you know what here's the thing they're offering more roles too um and more fleshed out roles too for um people of color um people in the lgbtq uh, community women um so i think that's uh i think that's important that we showcase uh various stories because this is real life you know um uh you can't have people that always play this of of an entire category who always play the same, you know, or are pushed into the same thing. You know, that's not, that's not fair. Uh, And not that it's not, not just that it's also not realistic, you know? So 
I, I, I will continue seeking out roles that are more three-dimensional myself too. So, yeah. Right. Which makes sense. Cause like you said, in the very beginning, you're, you got into the career because you like to play different characters. Absolutely. So, although, and like you said earlier, you have to be honest with yourself too. And like, you could be, I don't know, just a lot of different things. I know my type character casting. And mm-hmm. if I ever were to get into the field, I would just beg for it because my acting <laughs> talents are not that great, which is also not why, why I didn't go in. But uh, I know I could be like the side, like I could be the best friend sidekick sure. very easily. Okay. I could be the mean person just giving judging glares in the cafeteria. Like I could do all those. <laughs> but it's good to different. know what you would be right for. And your acting skill would there's all roles we're right for. And there are roles that I firmly believe there are roles that certain people can do better than I can. And there are roles that I can do better than them. Um, maybe for people of certain talents, uh, there's more range, you know, that's where we get into the word range. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, there's certain things I probably may, maybe wouldn't be able to play believably. I don't know. I'd have to cross that road. Um, there's always these actors who say, I didn't think I'd be able to play that. You know, I, I, they said, there's no way. And then, like, they win an Oscar for it. So uh, there's no rules. No. <laughs> That's, yeah, the best thing. There are no rules. Yeah. But what roles would you want to play that you wouldn't fit the mold for? Break those rules. Mm. Cast yourself now in something. Oh God! Um, if I, I, um, hmm, that is a good question. If I were to play something that maybe, maybe a guy who's, uh, maybe I could get Don some sort of prosthetics and change my look to an such an extent that I play someone who's maybe considered, I don't know, more. I don't want to more meek. Or, or easily uh, dom- dominated, you know, like sort of like um, maybe like a weaker sort of character who maybe winds up being a hero. You know, you have these kind of nebbish characters that um, can be a lot of fun and very comedic, you know. I think it I was would about be to say, hard. yeah, Ryan Reynolds' new stuff. Exactly, you know. So Ryan Reynolds, who you would consider to be more of a of a, an attractive leading man type, finding a way to play something that's not necessarily two type, um, and I think his one of his best roles to date. Um, I would definitely want to try something like that, comedic and out of touch with, out of place with what I'm, you know, typically. Um, but you have to, you have to, 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 uh, your friend's, um, point, you're going to get cut typecast at first and you know yep. what? That's great. You're in, if you're typecast, you're in, and they keep calling you up for these roles, you're in, and then you get to break the mold eventually. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Matthew McConaughey, is, for example. So, yeah. Yeah. I always think, oh my God, I forget her name all the time. What is her name? Um, she was in two broke girls. She was in... Um. Uh, what's it called? Jennifer Coolidge. Okay. Okay. Jennifer Coolidge played the dumb bimbo like very well, like most yeah. of her life. But uh-huh. she can do other things, and occasionally she does. But she mm-hmm. also is like, well, I like playing the character. Right. Like, right. She was right. like Pauletta in Legally Blonde. Yeah. Like, 
it's it's a lot of fun to break those. You know, like like um, you can have a lot of success in the commercial world. Like the woman, uh, Flo, Flo. I forget her real name, but she's Flo. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows Flo. Flo is, I think, if someone told, if I was, if I read correctly, the most successful uh, commercial actor. I, I guess successful mon- monetary was um, ever. Now I'm not 100 percent certain on that. Don't quote me, but. We know she's she's definitely had some success. Um, she could make a career from now on. She's flow, you know, and and she could probably be fine, you know. I, maybe Indeed. she'll show up in some other capacity, but you know, uh, works. <laughs> Stephanie Courtney, who is flow? I just googled it. Oh, there you go. We love you as flow. Keep it up. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I love her as flow. I think it's awesome. I think it's a great character. It's a lot of fun to watch. Sprinkles are for winners. Is a life motto for me. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Not Sprinkles sponsored by Progressive, everyone, by the way. Um, please don't sue us. We're appreciating your work. Um, <laughs> we, we just said flow. That's all we said, you know? <laughs> We're appreciating the character. You know, I used to have Progressive Insurance, too, so, you know. Well, but... <laughs> okay, so earlier you were talking about how you went out and got roles yourself, which is cool mm-hmm. and all, but you're also mm-hmm. repped by an agency. So I what's am. the process for actors like to get an agent? Because I know like on the literary side, mm-hmm. and I've talked about that with Sarah Nicholas and stuff too. I think it's very different than what I can tell from what I can tell back in like the eighties and stuff. But I'll tell you this much. You do your work, you, you grind away for like two or three years. You, you, you get a lot of close calls with agents and managers. You, you maybe break the rules you call them. You're not supposed to. Eventually you go into one of these pay to play workshops and they call you back and they want to sign you. And that's so fantastic. It's a great feeling. And then you sign with them. Uh, you hastily read the, the uh, contract you sign and Six months later, no auditions, you know? That can happen a lot. And you gotta be cognizant of that fact. You gotta say to yourself, okay, well, do they have too many of my, before you sign, do they have too many of my type? Do they have a lot of people that look like me or that could fill my roles? Um, How many people do they have? How can three agents believably um, rep 500 people let's just throw a number out there yes i've wondered that my whole life i'm like there's so many people that want to break into the biz and there's right. so few agents and how do you make yourself stand out to an agent that when they see something they think of me mm-hmm. first well there's a lot of agents actually i mean i get what you're saying though in a lot of network a lot of places only two or three but i mean like new york and la there are tons of agents and managers and there's a difference there too we could talk about that but um totally but for, first um you know it doesn't mean they're all good. Uh, okay. You know, it, it, some of them, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta be smart and uh, say, okay, is this agent, like I said, do they have too many people signed? Uh, do they have people like me? Do they have not enough people signed? Uh, you know, I found more success in the boutique realm and the boutique agencies are ones that are like, okay, they're like more second tier, but that's okay. They have less people signed but there's more attention, you know? And because of that, I might get an audition. I've gotten it down where I have an agent in four different regions um, or a manager in one and then like an agent in three different other regions. The, the country's broken up into regions. Mm-hmm. And um, this way, usually once a week, uh, every week I have at least one or two auditions. Whereas at one point I would go months without an audition. And it's like, 
all right, what am I doing? You know, it's it can it can get very um, upsetting, but you have to just keep trying to upgrade your materials, upgrade your reps in any way you can. You have to fight, you know. So, yes. Yeah. But that's interesting because I thought I didn't know if, like they had exclusivity deals too, but you but, have four people. Here's the thing, regions. In New York, if you signed an exclusive, if you sign an, most of them are exclusive. If you sign an exclusive contract for an agent, you're not allowed to have another agent in New York. But I can go to the Southeast and Atlanta, which is big, right? A big place right now. Biggest and movie can, television in the world for the past couple of years. Absolutely, and I can have an agent in Atlanta, and I can have an agent in LA, and I can have an agent in Oklahoma. These are Midwest, you know, Chicago region, but generally your agents in the larger areas, Atlanta, LA, New York, are gonna be exclusive. You're gonna be signed to them, and they're gonna be the people that can get you work. And it, and it just avoids any sort of, I, I no, I submitted them, no, I submitted them, you know, that type of thing. Who do I pay, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Managers and agents, a little different. Manager, there used to be more of a distinction in the 80s, but nowadays they've kind of blended. It's kind of blurred the differences. Um, it used to be a manager was like a person that would be like, okay, Danny, uh, you're going to go by Daniel from now on. Uh, this is your type. Um, we need to get your headshots up. You know, we need to get you better headshots. You know, and they'd recommend a photographer. Oh, you're going to take this class. They would manage your career, right? And then their job was to get you an agent. Nowadays, and agents agents would just get you work. That's it. They get you auditions. Get you auditions. But yeah. nowadays, it's kind of blended where a manager gets you auditions to – you got to ask yourself, do I need both? You can have both. In New York, I could have a manager and an agent. They're different quantities, you know? So why not personally? Why not have a manager, have an agent? They're both going to be getting uh, submitting me for things. The only difference, the only problem is uh, an agent generally gets 15%. A manager generally gets 10 to 15%. So, you know, you're, you're, you will be paying 30% of your earnings. But if you're auditioning a lot more, you got you to do a cost- analysis on that one so yeah mm -hmm. better to get the work than just not better to have I, in my opinion when you're starting off better to have more auditions coming in okay i have to give more of my money to my reps but look my reps work hard for me you know so it's and part that's of good part of the process yeah that's what you want but you mentioned headshots which is the next question anyway wow so. i'm just <laughs> How complicated is it to get a good headshot? To get a good headshot is not... I think the most complicated part is affording the headshots because, like, you might be paying $1,000, $800, dollars $1, $1,000 for this session, you know what I mean? Um, a several-hour session with this photographer. Um, you might want to pay for a makeup artist, someone to style your hair. I don't know, you know? Um Personally, I've been starting to cut my hair a little shorter. Uh, I think we'll talk about that later. But, um, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it, it's the money kind of adds up, I think. But you can always look on – it's so easy, or easy nowadays. You just look on your friend's Instagram and you say, oh, I like her shots or his shots. And, oh, he uh, tagged the photographer. Let me reach out to the photographer. Sometimes they don't have availability right away, but um, – 
I, I've always found it easy to get a, a photographer when I need one. Then it's about, okay, what am I going to wear? You know, what's, what's my, what's going to showcase my type? What looks am I going for? It can be exhausting. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, how hard is it to get a good one? Because you've defined the person too. And then you got to pick what you're going to look like during it. Mm-hmm. 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 It, your photographer, a good photographer, is going to take hundreds of photos. They're just going to, they're just going to snap, snap, snap away. They're going to direct you here and there and whatnot, um, try and get you in a certain frame of mind. But um, after that, I mean, you'll wind up with something good. You just have to wade through, you know, a, a lot of, of other shots. And I usually – I'll wind up narrowing it down. And by narrowing it down, I narrow it down to like 100 I like. You know, which is great, you know, but then, That's then, a lot, like, actually. then you have to whittle away at this. Like, which one do I like the most? Uh, this one, I don't like how my eyebrow is. This one, this. And then eventually you get it down to like a good solid 10 to 15. And then I send them off to my, usually I'll get it down to like 25, 30. I'll give them to my agents and managers. They'll pick a few. And then I can usually come through with like five or six that I'm like, these are, these are right. You know, these are perfect. These showcase different looks. Get them up on Actors Access and backstage, and you know, then you you know, hope you hope you got hope you nailed your marketing materials right. So yeah, do you have any good tips for people looking for headshots? Um, well, you know, I would research on backstage what is popular. It used to be black and white was the thing, but that was before my time. Um, color oh, I is those days. <laughs> color is all the rage. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Color is all the rage now, and 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 um, I would just have all of these these sort of ducks in a row before you go in. Um, research your photographer. Um, maybe you could ask your agent or manager if you have one at that point for recommendations. Ask your friends for recommendations. Um, I think that uh, the look, the, the photos should look like you. These aren't glamour beauty shots. These aren't modeling shots. They're nothing like that. They're, they're shots that showcase a particular version of yourself so that a casting director says, ah, this is where he or she fit, you know, this person fits into the story we're trying to tell. And this is why the casting director submitted them. I like them. Let's have them audition and see if the, uh, you know, they can pull that look off in, uh, with some lines, you know? So uh, I, I, I sometimes get a little like, ah, did, do I like my headshots? And I, and I love my headshots personally, but they're, they're not beauty model shots. It's not the best. It's not supposed to be the best photoshopped version of you it's just got to look like it's got to look like you be be pretty and um and and fit a character three those 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 three things i've heard that so often though like you gotta make it look it it has to look like you yes because you because we see it all the time actually with instagram these days that people can photoshop yourself to look like anything (laughs) you can you can do a lot yeah um and it's it's a scary world, really, but look, you want it to look like you because if they call you in and you don't look like you in that shot, they're going to be like, who is this? Wait a minute. Okay, next. You know, they're not going to cast you in that role. And it's they're not looking. your job to look a certain way. It's the makeup artist's job to make you look that way. Yeah, yeah. And the makeup the artist too. is just to touch out blemish, touch out blemishes and stuff like that. Honestly... I've even oh, I've had been, like on the job. 
<laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And when you're on the job, then it's you know whatever they're trying to have you be. But um, but from a fi- from a headshot perspective, if you want them to like maybe Photoshop out a stray hair or something, you know that's that's stuff we all agree is is fine. You know, but um, going, I, I've seen some crazy stuff. I've seen shots that don't <laughs> look like the person. It's it's to their own um, you know, uh, you know demise disadvantage. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know, it's just personable stuff. I don't know. There's so many things that go into it. Sure, sure. It's uh, and yeah, I like your headshot photographer. You know, um, I liked mine. She was a big ball of energy, and she made me laugh the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I think that's important, you know, because you get really serious and bogged down and all this. Like, what? what I wanted to look like a a young detective who's just out of the academy, and you know, I need I need to have this this side of my face showing, and you know, I'm gonna wear this blue shirt, you know, and just all this like nonsense where you get down to it, the casting director's just gonna be clicking on screen like, okay, yeah, all right, I like that guy, I like that guy, I like that guy, uh, yeah, he's good too. So that's it's minor, yeah. So minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm not familiar with the full acting side of it, but I have mm-hmm. seen like the dance side of casting. Sure, yeah, I'm sure Same that's even deal. Basically, what makes that so? Um, what makes that so intense? What's the difference there? What uh, What have you seen in the dance world as far as headshots are concerned? Uh, well, one, it has to look like you because mm-hmm. also, if you don't look like your headshot, because when you're going to an audition for most dance stuff you're not in full makeup. You right. are in some makeup, but you have mm-hmm. to dress like you're ready to like dance out the studio and like be mm-hmm. every other person in here. So if your headshot is like totally glammed up, they don't know who's who. Sure, they have the numbers, but they're like, so <laughs> it works in your favor sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, actually, it was funny. I learned this lesson on Dance Moms was one of the kids like took off a layer of clothing uh-huh. But then they, like Abby Lee Miller was like, no, that's the worst thing you can do in an audition because now you look different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they absolutely. Like there's 50 people on this stage and now I don't know where the girl with the yellow jacket is. A hundred percent. And I bet when they're like kid, little kids like that, it's a little tougher to distinguish too. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I go in for a callback, I oftentimes wear exactly what I wore in the original audition because I don't, I want to make this as easy. And this goes back to my headshots, my real footage, everything. I want to make everything as easy as possible for the casting director so that subconsciously they're not going to be like next. And the reason that is if my, well, here, if, if my headshots suggest a character, they're easily accessed, whoever that may be. I wear the same thing in my, um, not what I, I don't have to wear what I wore in my, my headshot, but like I wear the same thing in the first audition as I do in this, in the callback. If I'm so lucky to get one, it's just going to be more familiarity. They're going to have with me and they're going to say, Alexander Penicky is this. And okay. I like him in this. I brought him in. I like what he did here. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, a little different, you know, but he looks the same. And I think that will get you, the best opportunity to be cast, you know, then it just comes down to, you know, did you have a, the right beard color or whatever, you know what yeah. I mean? Silly stuff. So, yeah. Oh, the other thing about dance auditions too, is everyone's hairs up. Mm. So everyone has the same button going on too, just because of that too. So it's less things to distinguish yourself. 
It's and like it an really army. Was, <laughs> kind of. Like, sometimes when you look at, like, audition footage of things, uh, like, and at least on my YouTube feed, I think it knows I like Dance Moms, so it pulls up the right. Dance Moms auditions with, like, hundreds of kids. <laughs> like, all these hundreds of kids with the same top not going on with, like, a pretty, like, they try, like, they try to distinguish themselves with, like, pretty, mm. like, hair accessories, but sure. they all sparkle. They all blind you, like... <laughs> They'll have the same like white teeth smile, the same shiny smile. It's, yeah, it's but even it's in funny. real life, I've seen it that way too. Like everyone's either a bun or a ponytail. Everyone's mm -hmm. in like some like sports bra or like tights or. You get it then. It it's tough to distinguish yourself, and 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 I've gone into and I don't think in person auditions are, are at least for film and TV are are going to be back anytime soon. In fact, I think it's almost better for them to have virtual auditions. And we can touch on that in a little bit. Um, a lot of things are virtual. But when I went in to audition for The Blacklist, which was right before the pandemic, mm -hmm. right before the new uh, 2020, uh, the, the year that will go down in infamy, um, <laughs> I, uh, I walk in and you there's like you know there's a little waiting room for the blacklist audition you sign in you put your agency down and your contact information you sit down and uh there's like you know a row of guys in suits who all look you know they, they all look pretty the same and then there's a row of guys over here that are like auditioning for some other part and they kind of all look the same and then there's like one or two guys that were auditioning for my part and i'm not saying we looked the same but we all were wearing like because we were, we were playing like a drug dealer running from the law. So we were all wearing like hoodies and like, you know, stuff to suggest more casual, uh, you know, uh, fair. Yeah. And, and um, it's, it's just funny to see. It's a really surreal experience. And you can hear people, at least at that office, you could hear people auditioning. So I, I would hear, uh, they would come out, call Danny, what you know, whatever, and then he would come. He would go in, and then he'd be like, "Hi," and it would be, you know. I, so you get like a sense of like, okay, what's working there? What's not working there? Do I think they're gonna get the role? I'm like, ah, there's no way that person's getting the role. They did not do well, you know. It's it, it's funny to see. Right before I went in, a guy went in for my role, and um, I said, "All right, he did pretty good." But I think I think he, he did pretty well. But I I think. Let me let me try. Let me try something a little different than what he did. And the rest is history. It it, it worked, you know? So thing is such a psychological thing. Big time. Big Ugh. time. Yeah, it's my heart was pounding out of my chest, you know, in there. I, I will admit, you know. And I'm sure everybody else was feeling the same way. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing too about like this sports psychology, right? Mm -hmm. Which I don't understand sports psychology at all. Like I get the psychology and it's all about competitiveness and that's the mm -hmm. angle I like try to understand it through, but still there's such mm -hmm. like stuff in it. But like, I don't understand why there's not like theater psychology too, or like competitive, like dance psychology. Like it's all so strenuous and it's such a mind game. Well, don't, don't count yourself out. Um, you, you know, marching band, you know, dance. Um, no, I mean, like, I don't understand why it's not a field, an industry. Oh, a field or an industry. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's all, and it would be, it would make sense because it's all the same. It's all the same. When I would, when I would get ready for a track meet, um, and I knew that they were doing the 100 meter dash around, uh, around 10 o'clock or whatever it was, you know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, around 10 o'clock, I got to be around there, around 15 minutes early, ready to, to get ready for my heat of the 100 meter dash. And 
you got to time your warm up. You got to time when you're going to put water into your body. You're going to time when you're maybe have a little snack. You don't want to eat too much. You don't want to eat too little, you know, and all these things. What did I do for breakfast? Did I even eat breakfast? You know, how am I feeling? Um, these, these things come into play so that when they say, all right, heat five, basically someone came out into the waiting room in the audition and said, Alex Penicky, same thing. You're ready. Now I'm going into race. You know, it's the same sort of process. I look, if they can find somebody who can, I'm sure there's people out there, but like, uh, I would go see somebody if they could, if they had like a psychologist for, for that specifically, you know, gearing up for your event. Yeah. Because it's such a, it's all such a mind game. It's, it's just, it's crazy. I, it has not gotten easier no matter what I've done, um, maybe a tiny bit because now I'm more confident as an actor. Mm-hmm. But when you go in for a large audition like Blue Bloods or Blacklist or 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 uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Maisel or whatever or or anything, yeah, it, it's a big role. You really want it. How do you tell yourself at the same time? Do my best don't push myself so hard that I tense up, you know, and it'll be okay if I don't get it. You know, it's like this, this, you want to put in maximum effort, but not so much that you're tense. It's very much like track. It's very much like dance. They're all the same. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's all such a similar mind game and it really boggles my mind. Like sports psychology is such a big field. Like Mm. we could use it for so many things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I a a a great field. Um, I would pay top dollar to see like a sports psychologist. Maybe I'll go see a sports psychologist and be like, I'm an actor. Surprise! You know, help me out. You know, <laughs> teach me your secrets. You know, maybe. So. I mean, that'd be such a fascinating thing to see and all that. And oh, it just it re- the whole like the arts funding versus like the sports funding mm-hmm. too. Like it just comes to my mind there. I'm like, yeah, but like. It, I don't know. It's also all life skills, mm-hmm. which I love about that. Like I tell the kids in marching band all the time. I'm like, look, let's be real. About two and a half of you are maybe going to touch a flag after high school. Right. Right. It's but true. What you can learn here is like the skills and preparation you learn from track. You now mm-hmm. use all the time. Like, Absolutely. cool. Let's learn life skills. These things that you learn in these extracurriculars, I think can be more important than what you learn in classrooms uh, from the educational standpoint. Cause I think a lot of that, you can, agree. you can phone a lot of that in, you know, you really, you know, and, and, I, and I saw with some of my classmates that they were doing this, but with, well, you can't really fake the precision of marching band. You can't really fake an all out sprint of track and all that effort like that. The times and the performances don't lie. So these are, these are all important, you know, very, I, Look, I, I hope schools can continue to have the funding to have these things because they're going to make more for more well-rounded people. Um, mm-hmm. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. So, oof, I'm trying to think of a good transition. Whatever. Next question, because I can't think of it. That's on my me, everyone. Don't blame Alex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're doing fine. You're doing fine. Yeah. Thanks. So. <laughs> uh, so on your resume, it lists training. Like, mm-hmm. big capital letters, or at least that's how I wrote it. I don't know why. Anyways, yeah. which is a very industry standard thing. Like, it's just, like, it's industry standard to have it on your resume. Mm-hmm. 
Right. How do you think casting people figure out the rep reputation for each of the training facilities? Honestly, it's crazy you ask this because I don't I don't remember re like I read through your uh, list of questions a little bit and then I but I uh, I you know then I, I like read through them forgot about them because that's how I want to be and uh, oh in yeah totally and um, but yesterday last night while I was laying in bed I was thinking about this and I was like hmm maybe tomorrow I'll take training off of my resume um no. and, and and the re well yeah here's here's the thing um I want to make my resume as streamlined and simple as possible now I'm probably not going to take training off my resume. It probably would be helpful for people to see that I have trained somewhere yes. at least. But I oftentimes question, I've acted with people in film and television who did not have any training. You know, they their training was the doing. And but but here's the thing. I'm a big proponent of training. You know, I don't want that to be misconstrued. Um, the training that I got at George Mason in those three classes back home in Virginia, um, from act, I'm talking about designated acting classes. I, I also got training from doing from the doing, but yeah, um, at HB Studio and whatnot were, were very important. But um, I think that old school casting directors who have maybe a little bit more, they're more in touch with that actor studio, that old school training uh, realm. I think they know. Oh. You know, he trained at HB. That that has a reputation. He trained at Stella Adler. You know, these these schools carry with them a method and a um, a reputation and famous alumni that you are now associated with. So maybe I'm convincing myself as we speak to keep my training <laughs> on my resume. <laughs> I'm like, wow, Alex. Uh, as I listen to you say that, maybe you're right. Maybe I should keep that on my resume. But. Um, I think some people don't come from that realm. They come from the realm of cast a show, cast a show. And other mm -hmm. casting directors come from a theater background, maybe, and they work their way up. And they, they, and they even acted themselves. So they know the importance of good training. Because I, I think it's definitely important for you to get comfortable in front of a camera, in front of people on stage, etc. Yes. And I'm trying to remember her name too. Let me Google this real fast. And I'm pretty sure it was, okay. Yeah. Jackie Harry. So Jackie mm. Harry actually gave T and Tamara the best advice on sister, sister mm -hmm. about like being trained in like technique. Right. And I took it with me because mm -hmm. I tell, I now tell the kids that like Jackie Harry, thank you. If you're ever listening. Not sponsor, but um, <laughs> and progressive flow. Thank you, thank you if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> True, because yeah, it's are for winners. But anyway, so Jackie Harry told T and Tamara that you can always rely on your technique when you show up to work, especially on those shows when you're like there for a whole year mm -hmm. doing the same character and like just different scenarios, like day in day out. That some days you're not going to be feeling it, but you could always rely on your technique. Absolutely, absolutely. A hundred percent. These these types of things are the things you can't learn by doing, right? Training is important. And also training with different methods. Um, I trained with a guy who was very adamant that you can, he was a Shakespeare teacher. He was like, everything is on the page. 
all about the words. It's about the sounds of the words, all that stuff. And a lot of that stuff is very much like miming for people. That's like, okay, that's very external. That's an external way to dig for what I want. That's an intellectual way to dig for what I want. And then some actors are more heart. They come from that Stella Adler, that Lee Strasberg, that that uh, imagination or emotional memory and all these all these terms that may help some people and others maybe don't uh, get as much from them. But I think when your heart isn't in a part, if you can dig for it intellectually from that external world, it's, an, it's just another tool in your toolbox, right? And then maybe if, if you're not intellectually grasping a part, if you can go with what your gut and your heart is telling you, there's another way to get a, get a role, uh, get a, um, a believable performance out. So you need to be well-versed. Um, you don't need to take classes um, in the same the same teacher, same class. I, I, I take a class. I do it for a, for one eight week session or whatever it is. And then and then I say, all right, see you later. I'm going to this teacher because every teacher, the more variety I get, uh, the more things I'm going to learn, you know, not. Oh, just just continuously doing the same thing with the same teacher over and over. You know, that's where you stagnate, you know. OK, hear you. <laughs> Wait, you can't hear me? Muted. There you are. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I was like, wait, I had muted. Anyways, no, but like everyone has a story, like the podcast says, but also you can learn something from everyone. Mm-hmm. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah. uh, even if it's a little tidbit. Um, I, I studied with a guy, Michael Beckett, at uh, HB Studio for like eight weeks, and and uh, I learned the little, little things here and there from him about like the subconscious mind and stuff like that. And then even from like a voice and speech class that, you know, I wouldn't think you'd learn anything directly related to acting, just working on my voice and the Fitzmaurice training uh, opened up a whole different paradigm within my acting. It's all, it's all so important. All right, so how many different schools and methods of acting do you think there are out there? Because it sounds like every single teacher comes up with their own and it's now a new thing. Oh me, gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't put an I couldn't put a number to it. There's probably millions, but um, there's the main ones, right? There's there's uh there's Meisner training. There's uh, which my first training was a lot of that. And Stanislavski, he's sort of the I would call him the the father of modern acting. And uh, Sanford Meisner and Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg were maybe some of his like descendants, so to speak, you know. Um, so if if he was Marlon Brando, they were De Niro and Pacino and Hoffman or whatever. Um, <clears throat> they, they made schools that took various aspects of what he taught and expanded upon it, you know, or, or made it their own or, or took certain, you know, uh, things and made their own school. And then there's people that splintered off from there. HP studio is Uta Hagen, Sanford Meisner, uh, not Sanford Meisner, excuse me. Um, Uta Hagen and Herbert Berghoff. They, uh, they started that school and that's a different, a different thing, but there's Suzuki, there's, there's mime training. There's so many different, there's puppet, puppet you know sometimes a lot of these uh big mfa programs you learn uh, puppeteering you know so there's a, a specific uh, i don't know if it's in japan um but there's a specific type of um and this might have been another th thing from audition by michael shirtliff i don't remember but uh, there's a specific type of uh puppet puppet training in that country um i believe it's japan where you have to like apprentice for like 10 years before you actually get to perform 
Wow. Yeah, so you learn like to move the feet naturally, and then you learn, or or, or the toes, and it, and it goes from there. So, um, I don't have that much patience, you know. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna get start getting work, but um, so many different fields, so many different types. The limit does not exist. Limitless. Limitless. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so, under special mm. skills, right, which is one of my favorite places to look at, <laughs> you have very you have a bunch of interesting things. So we're going to go through this. Sure. How did you learn horseback riding? Okay, um, acting. Uh, when they write out a, they write down a breakdown, which is basically what they're looking for. They'll say we need a guy who's five foot ten with blonde hair and uh, needs to be proficient in horseback riding, or whatever. Needs to be able to fire a gun. Needs to be able to juggle. Needs to be able to I don't know. Um, name your skill. And when I was doing turn, I was doing background work in Richmond. I would like leave class at Mason or I'd like take a day off. I'd go do extra work down in Richmond, Virginia um, while we were still in school from time to okay. time. Not too much. You know? <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> fail. But but um, horseback riding kept coming up. And I said, you know what? I better get a horseback riding class in. Because once I get one, at least one or two, I can say I could ride. You know, I'm yeah. maybe not going to run or Yeah, maybe I'm not going to go crazy. But... So I did, and I said I was a, you know, I could do horseback riding. And since then, I've done more cantering, more advanced things. I'm not jumping barriers and stuff like that. They would get a special, they would get a, a stunt double for that. Yeah, you know, I would make Makes sure. Makes sense. That. Yeah. But it helps to have a comfort on the horse. So I've acquired another hobby. I don't do it often. When I was out in LA, I actually was like, I went out to LA for a week a couple of years ago. And I was like, what, what can I do? And they were, I was like, they have horseback riding at a ranch right beneath the Hollywood sign. Let's do that. It sounds like fun. So I was in the canyons, Runyon Canyon, like on horseback and we were trotting and these horses got dangerously close to this like cliff that if it had fallen off, I would have fallen like 50, 50 yards to my death. But it didn't happen, obviously. That's why I'm here. But um, <laughs> what, what are you saying, Alex? Um, no, it was a lot of fun. Horseback riding. Um, more tools in my toolbox. Again, goes back to that. Horseback riding, too. But turns out I'm scared of horses. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that until I tried. <laughs> because I always thought, you know, back when I was, like, not uh, aspiring. But what could I be in life? Like, maybe. Because, mm. you know, I love all the fantasy movies. A I'm cowboy. like, okay. <laughs> I love all the fantasy movies too. And I'm like, sure. okay, well, if I'm like in Middle Earth or some like weird like fantasy world, they all have horses. Okay. I have to learn how to ride something. Turns out I'm scared of horses and not a good actor, so it didn't happen. But <laughs> <laughs> well, if a role ever came up where you had to be a talk show host who didn't like riding horses, you would nail that role. So maybe you're a better actor than you think. But but you know, you're welcome. <laughs> you're like, ah, whatever. Whatever what is that you're gonna have? But no. Um, but yeah, horse horses I, I think it's very cool. Uh, it's a living being that you're you're uh, putting your trust into. And there's a whole etiquette to that whole process. Um such an etiquette, because that was my whole thing. I was yeah. like, oh my, I don't want to offend the horse because this horse is going to kill me. <laughs> I was like, I'm squeezing on this horse, and I have strong legs. You know, I ran track. I'm like, I'm squeezing this horse because that's how you explode. That's how you tell it to speed up. And and I'm like, am I hurting this horse? Is like, Alex, that horse is like half a ton. 
It does not. <laughs> it does not. You're like a mosquito on its back. It, it doesn't care that you're squeezing. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this horse. No, no, no. You're not. You're, you're fine. I was like, all right. So it's, um, it's amazing. But the, the things you have to learn as an actor. Back when Clint Eastwood was uh, an actor, let's say back in the old studio system, it used to be you signed to a studio and you just, yeah. they would just make you were part of their stable like a horse and they would make you do whatever films whatever films they wanted you to they'd say alex you're gonna play this gladiator in this movie all right i don't want to but whatever um but back in those days i feel like there was a little bit more of a path to success maybe a little bit it wasn't easy but it was a little bit different back then Mm -hmm. and they would they would literally make you a product you know you would have to take horseback riding classes and 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 uh you'd have to do dance classes and singing classes and we're going to get you this combat training and they would you would be their product the studio would you know that system broke apart in the 50s 60s as we moved to a more i think fair way of doing things um maybe to an extent we're returning to that a little bit maybe not to the extent that it used to be but um you know these these superhero movies. Uh, they're very. You're gonna play Aquaman or you're not. You know it's very. I think there's less casting that goes into some of those things. They just have a person in mind for that. So it, it's similar to that old studio system, I would argue. But mm-hmm. um, honestly, we're in a better place now. We're probably never gonna return to that thing. We'll never return to that, thankfully. At least I hope we don't. And um, uh, yeah, but I, I do lament that. I read an article. It basically said um, on backstage again. Uh, I know we're not advertising backstage, but you know, hey, <laughs> uh, hey, if they want to sponsor you, that would be awesome, right? Um, yeah. Backstage, I read an article. They basically said that the elevator to success is broken in this industry. You'll have to take the stairs. So I took that to heart. So that means, yeah, I might not make it in my 20s, but there's a better chance of me making it in my 30s if I continue to work hard at it. And honestly, most of my favorite actors didn't make it till they were in their 30s anyways. You know, Mickey Rourke, Brad Pitt, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, Robert De Niro. I mean, uh, uh, we could we could go on. D- Dustin Hoffman. They really didn't have their roles that made them big big names till the, they were like 30, some people 40s, you know. Um Morgan Freeman was even later than that, I believe. So he's a great actor. So yeah, yeah. Um, it also says on the special skills that football. <laughs> so did you actually play football or? I I rode the bench in on in high school. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't very big, and there were a lot of big, fast kids who've been playing football since they were like two years old and mm-hmm. whatever. You know, I like that. It just was a, a natural thing, and I was good, but like. When you're like five foot four and a hundred pounds in the tenth grade, and you know you you don't finish growing until you're like in your second year of college. I mean, like there was very little chance of me getting out there. Especially Virginia Beach is very where I grew up. It's very competitive for all sports. So, uh, but I was fast. So I didn't get to play football. I said, "The heck with football. I'm gonna go run track." So it, it okay. worked out. 
So yeah, I didn't know you actually played or not, or if you just can qualify. But you were a sprinter at Mason. That's the next one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's how you got in the tracks. I guess you answered that. It uh, says you were a sprinter at Ma for Mason! Exclamation point. Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. We'll keep getting to that later on. But next up on the special skills list is you have a ton of accents down on here. Yes. Okay. What would you say is the biggest difference to recognize between the Australian and British RO? RP, RP. RP. Whoops, yeah. that's my typos. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I should have I should have said that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so the British RP accent is very, at least the way I do it, it's very posh. You know, it's very proper. You know, they say that the that the British spoke more like Americans do now back in the colonial times. That accent came later to distinguish themselves. And it was very class caste system type of thing. Yeah. You know, I am educated, so I will sound more like it. You know, I'm going to work on my voice. And and these types of things, um, yeah, they, they that is the stereotypical British accent. There's also a Cockney accent that's a little more working class. You know, that's kind of deeper and darker. Uh, maybe uh, the way I do, it's kind of like that. But an Australian accent, I think, is a little bit more like that Cockney accent. A little bit more like, um, I don't know. You know, I, I heard once someone from Australia say it's it's just a sexier accent. So we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. so. I've heard that before too, and I think Chris Hemsworth said it one time separately from when I heard it too. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's a cool accent, you know. A South African accent's kind of interesting too. I, 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 in that like it's it's kind of like Australian, but it's got its own distinct thing, you know. But I, I'm not versed enough in in these types, you know. I can do a general version of these accents where if they ask me to learn it and they're going to fly me out to Australia to this particular town in Australia and I have to learn that specific type I would do that but I, I'm not going to learn 500 accents you know uh, for what to what end you know so but on there you have Welsh Welsh yes I can't do it right now but I was, I was pretty, never going to ask. I was pretty – I wish I could, though. Like, I really want to. I'm a performer. But, like, that's a great one. I, I played Fluellen in Henry V for this, like, basement theater company. And the role was way too old for me and all this stuff. But, like, the, the director was this, like, really interesting guy who didn't care. He was just like, ah, you're going to go out there. You're going to do it. We don't care. You know, you're going to be Fluellen. And he um, – okay. I had to learn – <laughs> I am like, yeah, okay, I'll take your word for it. But yeah, he was a crazy, he was a crazy dude. He he had me cast as this guy. I had to learn a Welsh accent. International Dialects of English Archive idea, like uh, that is a great resource where they actually interviewed uh, various people from different countries and states. If you're in the United States, um, and got their accent on tape. And I used that. And also, when I did the Welsh, one of my fellow actors in that show sent me all this, like, resources. I don't know where he got it. I'd have to reach out to him. It was probably from his accent book. Um, but it was all these things on tape. And I just listened to it and repeated, listened to it and repeated. And eventually, I got it down to very specific, 
you know, accent though. So specific. Yeah. Anything yeah. in the British Isles is so specific. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> when when Brad Pitt was playing, um, I think they wanted him to play a different character in that movie. I forget the name of the movie, but um, he plays this like boxer who uh, this like Irish or so, I, I probably offended Irish people or North Irish or whatever he was. Um, I'm an American, you know, we don't, we don't know that's what that stuff is, but um, <laughs> we don't know the differences, but he, he, he could, I think he couldn't get the accent down. So they, they instead changed it to this other accent and he, it was a very specific accent to a very specific town, uh, a region in the UK. So um, yeah, but so many different gradations and even in the United States, you'll have people like, ah, this isn't, yeah, that's not a, uh, Mississippi accent, that's a Tennessee accent, and you're like, all right, whatever, they sound the same to me, but to certain people, you, you know, gotta get it right. Yeah, and that's why they have professional dialect coaches that they bring on occasionally. Absolutely. 100%. I haven't needed one yet, but someday, hopefully, I will. Yeah. And if you ever want to find out more what they do, world, like, they have excellent TikToks Oh yeah, they do. They do, right? They, they just have love the best ones. <laughs> it's because, like, who doesn't want to listen to crazy accents and funky accents? Absolutely. And just I the was... talent of just flipping so fast. Oh no doubt, no doubt. That would be something fun to to study. I should have majored in sports psychology and minored in accents if that was an option at Mason. Linguistics, and dialects, linguistics. There Maybe. you go. Although I yeah. think it's writing linguistics more, but hey, I someone knew I was in a writing group with someone who took the linguistics stuff in. She's mm -hmm. like, I learned a ton, and she could decode languages like no one's business. Mm, wow. I, well, it, it it all helps, right? It, it mm -hmm. all will help with that. Life skills. Uh, <laughs> Life skills. Special skills. So we're on Mason's topic again, the next thing. So great transition mm -hmm. world. So you went to Mason at the same time I did. So these are the generic questions I love to ask people at Mason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first one, did you worship the crane god? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Which is a perfect answer. <laughs> right. Uh, Kira Omens didn't know what it was either. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, so, where is that? The crane got, remember when they were rebuilding Fenwick Library and there was a giant crane that over, ah, over everything? That crane. Yes, I remember that crane. I, I didn't worship that crane, though. No, but, but there were these, like, drunk frat guys or something. And they were just, like, worshipping the crane one night and, or, or ah. the day. And they just started this thing and it became this whole meme-filled thing that people worshipped the crane god outside of <laughs> that. Interesting. Above us on Fenwick. And it was just so funny. I and, didn't. <laughs> I I lived with frat guys for a year while I was at uh at Mason, but um I never joined though I was asked if I wanted to rush. I never rushed any fraternity, but um then I would have had a lot more experience, I guess, with the crime. I guess that's what frat guys Maybe. do. If they did, it it was just such random people that would be like, it's the hail the crane god. Like and it was like, okay, cool, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I had some oh, some interesting folks in college. That's that's for sure. And um, I did not worship the crane god, but I did rub the uh, toe of George Mason himself of the Mason statue. Yep, that was one of the questions too. Did you rub uh, the toe? I did rub the toe. 
like once or twice and then i stopped i was like this is okay this is the- everyone let's let's give context to the stupid toe for a second because i just realized <laughs> i've never done it in a podcast and i've asked people this question before okay right. at george mason university there's a statue of george mason right mm-hmm. and he faces away from dc because he hates george washington apparently <laughs> so but there's a plaque embedded in the mm-hmm. ground and if you mm-hmm. step on the plaque you're gonna fail but you can yeah. absolve yourself by rubbing George Mason's toe. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? I, all I all I did was I just didn't step on the plaque, and I solved that that whole issue. I never offended him, and and I was good to go. I didn't have to worship the crane god either after, after that. So <laughs> uh, everything was good. No, but you know what's funny that you say that because um, UVA has the same thing. I believe it's UVA. They have, and and we're an we were originally an offshoot of UVA, and which became George Mason. But um, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, I, I do believe it. We were like a we were like a splinter okay. school from UVA, but um, they have a statue of Thomas Jefferson, and you rub the toe, and there's a plaque in the ground. So um, certain traditions get you know moved from one school to the other. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the tradition at several different schools, but um, I think the I think I did rub his toe before I left uh, for good luck, and hopefully it. Hopefully it worked. I just didn't want his toe to get too like raw, you know. <laughs> it's like it's really shiny there, though. He's got a shiny toe, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so f- quick thing for the listeners who have been committed to listening so far: Thomas Jefferson and George Washington over in UVA is where you streak the lawn. We talked about streaking the lawn, the lawn so much on this podcast because it's just a fascinating concept that people can just streak there and no one gets in trouble. Right. Also, it's across the dorms that are from his time and all that mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. any hoosers yeah so <laughs> it all, it's all connected people like go to visit uva you'll see the mm-hmm. two statues and that's where they're running naked it but, could be some sort of conspiracy theory you know uh it could be this could be some sort of like national uh, treasure type uh thing where nicholas cage like starts running around trying to solve the mystery i don't know why is why is mason you know so tied up with uva's traditions i have no idea And so after we graduated, Brad, who's been on the podcast, was my (laughs) roommate. (laughs) Yeah. So Brad was on the podcast and he and I, (laughs) we were like visiting because like when I graduated, my sister went. So we were visiting the campus, like dropping stuff off from like my house for her. And we were walking by the statue and he was like, oh, can't step on the plaque. He's like, wait, no, I graduated. They can't revoke. And he just right. jumped onto the plaque and like, uh-huh. did, like a mini dance. And he's like, you can't fail me. And just kept walking. And I was like, uh, oh, my God. I but, don't know. He could have bad luck for the next 10 years because he did that. Uh, does it stop after you get your degree? I mean, we they never can't revoke a that. degree. So, That's, well, I can't revoke a degree, but is it bad luck? I don't know. You know, hmm. I guess, like, I guess we'll have to say. Well, I was safe. <laughs> as long as you're safe you're like whatever i don't care so and so because you were not a theater degreed person or your degree is not in theater mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what building was most of your classes in and what was your actual degree my degree was technically in health fitness and rec resources my concentration was in kinesiology uh and most oh, of my nice. classes funnily enough were over in prince williams campus you know, so yeah. I, I would drive over there. It's like uh, 45 minutes or take the bus. And um, many of my classes were over there. Now, as I got through with all my like required classes, 
most of my gen ed started to be back at the regular school, uh, regular school, you know, in the theater department uh, building and things like that. Um, the the English department, because I did minor in English. So I did take a few oh. classes over there. Yeah. Technically me did too, or I did too, not me did too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a horrible spot to screw up that grammar, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, well, maybe that's some sort of English thing I didn't learn, you know. But yeah. hey, I was in the creative okay. writing classes. My technical mm-hmm. minor turns out if you minor in English at Mason, you get to choose like your specialization. No one fights you on it. They told me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think- my minor was English, a minor in English with a specialization in creative writing. So was mine. So oh, was mine. Hey. I took. I took. Look at that. I took. Uh, um, three poetry classes uh those are some other great teachers i had at jam um, atkinson i forget her first name miss atkinson and um panky uh mr dr panky or maybe it's mr panky um they were they were a couple as well and uh they were great poetry teachers from mason um yeah yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting um did you ever take a class with deb shudica then i did not no no if you yeah. want to know who Deb Shudica is, we spent like 15 minutes talking about her on Lexi's, ep- Lexi's episode, so you can okay. go back and listen to World. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all interconnected, World. Um, <laughs> We're name-dropping a lot of Mason teachers, you know? Well, it goes to show you that the education we received was of quality, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I had a blast I, there. I'm glad I went to Mason. Um I had thought my first freshman or sophomore year before I took acting classes of, of transferring to tech, but uh, I stuck it out and uh, I'm glad I did. And um, I think it made uh, pursuing acting easier because there was a city right there, DC. So, yeah. Yeah. So, finally. Mm-hmm. So you recently mentioned earlier you just cut your hair, and I know hair is mm-hmm. a huge thing in the industry. Absolutely. How often do actors get to freely decide what they want to do with their hair outside of work? Um. Well, most of the time you're not on set, right? Um, mm-hmm. Unless you book a role where you're like a series regular, you're going to have whatever hair you think is best for whatever roles you're going for. Again, a thing that goes in the headshots and whatnot. I think I, I like to keep, I think what looks best on me and what I like is um, hair that's uh, a little shorter, but maybe with the, like the sides grown out a little bit. So it's kind of an ambiguous in between look so that I'm not too shaggy and long where they're like, you can play only hippies and whatever like stereotypical thing a long a person with long hair would do. Um, where or very short hair, where they might say, "All right, you're going to play military roles, police roles," you know. <clears throat> yeah, I have found this intermediate like style that I like, and that kind of opens up to either side. Where if they want to cut it, they can. If they if they want me to grow it out a little bit, I can do that too. I had to get my hair cut and get blonde streaks put in for one of the first true crime. I've done a ton of true crime shows. One of the first true crime shows I ever had to do, I had to get blonde streaks put in because that's what the style, the style of the guy, uh, the guy I was portraying had. So that was interesting. Um, but they paid for that. They paid for all that. So yeah. Nice. Whatever nice. they want, you know. They want me to buzz my head. I'll buzz my head. 
And if they want me to get a mohawk, I'll get a mohawk. You know, it doesn't matter to me. So, got to be malleable. All right. So, yeah, no, because I know that I have a friend that's out in LA and he has like longer hair. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I just dyed my hair. And he's like, oh, I would get killed by my agent <laughs> if I dyed my hair. Well, yeah, they, they sign you with this is, you know, with the understanding of that this is what you're, you, we signed you for. You have this look and we, we need this for this niche we're trying to fill. And, and if you suddenly don't ask, uh, don't ask, you go and you dye your hair green and you shave your head. I don't know how you do that. You have green, green, bald, green, bald head. You know, they're going to be like, what? You know, like, that's not what we're looking for here. You know, what are we supposed to do with that? So you, you have to be careful with that sort of, of thing. You know, I, I could cut my hair a little shorter and within reason. And, and, you know, I could probably cut it regular short and be fine, you know, because my hair grows quick and whatnot. But if I start doing crazy thing, uh, crazy, if I start doing things that are out of the ordinary of what they expect from me, that might, you know, raise my brows. So I want to, I want to be as wide ranging as I can be. I want to fit as check as many boxes as possible. You know, I want to help my agent stay workable. Exactly. So gotta be your agent's best friend. So, so do you think longer hair helps you stand out? Maybe nowadays. Cause I think, uh, I think long hair is actually out of style right now. I would say, um, just looking at celebrities and things like that and just, styles i would say long hair for the most part is out right now but these things come back in waves you know and Mm -hmm. i loved having long hair i thought it looked good on me and whatnot but i don't i do think it limited me and i think as i as i approach my 30s and begin to get go for those types of roles it would help to have not not very 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 long hair because i see certain people getting pigeonholed where I think their talent is enough where they should be getting the opportunity to, to audition for more things. But look, casting directors oftentimes, they don't have the time to uh, creatively look at you. They're going to say, what is this person? What, where do I see them? Okay, they've got way too long hair to play a cop. Are you kidding me? Way too long hair to play this teacher. You know? But... Yep. <clears throat> You can help them out by maybe uh, finding a median range for yourself as 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 a male. If I were a, uh, a woman who plays edgy characters and that's what I was signed to do, maybe having uh, short, short, short hair. Literally my be, haircut. Would be, exactly, <laughs> would be right up their alley and what they're supposed to do, uh, what their, you know, their agent expects them to have. So. You oh, know. for context, world. Um, it's currently July fourteenth, twenty twenty one. If you go on the Instagram, the Shape of a Star podcast on Instagram, you'll see a photo of me from like two weeks ago. It's like the shaved sides, floppy top, and it's like maroon color. It, it looks good. Thanks. It looks good. Yeah, it took you nine know? hours. So nine hours. What? Oh, we couldn't, different... we couldn't get the colors right. Wow. But my stylist was super nice about uh-huh. it. And it was so funny because everyone's like, oh, because it's your hair so dark, it took so long to bleach. I'm like, no, it was getting the color right. Ah, yeah, well, it, it, it certainly took the color now. You, you, you have very, it, it's unique, you know? Yeah, hey, I love it. Maybe you should apply for an agency 
they won't have somebody with that color hair, but then you'd be expected to keep Yeah, no, I'm hair. not keeping this. I'm not turning Ariana Grande. <laughs> it's very similar to Kat from Victorious Everyone, the color, and I don't want to, like, thin out my hair like Ariana Grande did. <laughs> I think that, um, I forget the name of the actress, but there's one actress, she's not naturally redhead, she's not naturally a redhead, but because she had red hair for a while, she was expected, she, she died at one point, she was expected to have red hair from then on out for a while. Um, and I think now she's at the point where she's so famous, although I don't remember her name. Deborah um, Messing, Emma Stone. Maybe. So like, it might, they might both be. go red and... Yeah, it might be Emma Stone. Um, where, you know, it, it's... it's She can do whatever she wants now, obviously, but... Yeah, Deborah Messing yeah. was Grace and Will and Grace, and she was a natural brunette, but she dyed hers red, and that's how she got Will and Grace. <laughs> it's like, all right keep it that way you know to this day it's still that color except for like a two-year period she's like i'm not i'm just gonna let it grow Mm -hmm. or like let it be but either hoosers so because you said longer hair is like out of style is that what inspired the cut by the way the haircut looks great thank you thank you um i think i just got a little tired of it and uh I don't want to just play, um, I think as a young guy, a young white male right now in his 20s, um, there are a lot of roles for maybe like um, guys on the wrong side of the law, drug dealers, stuff like that. I think a guy with long hair, whether the stereotype is correct or not, um, it's just going to be conflated with that. People are going to say, oh, long hair, he must be doing something. Um, I think until you're until you're famous and you can do whatever you really want and they're going to work with it, um, it would be best, like I said, to make myself as wide-ranging as possible. So a little bit shorter hair. I can play different kinds of roles. I wanted to go into the next step of my career seeking far more opportunity. That's why the long hair had to go. So. Awesome. Yeah. Succinct answer to wrap up the main question portion. Yeah. But we did mention psychology earlier, so I do want to drop the commercial in real fast. So Cinephile Podcast is uh, a show where the host named Chesco brings in other professionals in the field of mental health to discuss the portrayal of psychological disorders in film and TV shows. I'm pushing for TV shows. Well, I actually know. Wait, my episode was a TV show. I was on. I did WandaVision. It was episode four. It was great. But Chesco himself is a mental health professional currently. Well, actually, that's out of date now, that bio. Because guess what? He is on his way right now moving to California to pursue his PhD in clinical psychology in the fall of 2021. He loves video games, movies, and books. You can find him on Instagram at Hey Look, It's Chesco, where he posts the good ET whips up and promotes his own podcast, which everyone should go check out because I'm on it and my episode was great. <laughs> well done well done i didn't know you were on you were on an episode of wandavision really no i was on an episode of his podcast talking about WandaVision. Oh, all right all right okay okay i was gonna say wow yeah. but i was almost in spider-man homecoming what'd you say i was almost in spider-man homecoming oh cool cool they were looking for it literally this was the call sheet right mm-hmm. asian males mm-hmm. that could play high schoolers mm-hmm that could do a special talent that would be featured at a high school football game. And I was like, wow. in. But the filming day, it was literally a day and a half of filming, was during my final during grad school. Oh, I was yeah. Like, 
But when you go and see the movie, they cut the whole scene. So I was like, "Woo!" Wow, well, you, you didn't waste didn't waste any time exactly. But that's mm. that's the kind of stuff you could have gotten in there. Maybe eventually, if you do do get that opportunity, very niche thing they're looking for. They might even throw you a line. You could get your SAG eligibility, and you know, quicker than I ever got it. So yeah. Speaking of which, this is, I'm not asking you because I don't want you to like out yourself and like cause political stuff in the sack world. But oh, I yeah. personally think it's fascinating. Fran Drescher is running for president. Uh, really? She is? Yep. I, I don't even pay attention to that stuff. Oh. I probably should. Well, here's the thing. I'm eligible. I haven't joined yet. So, yeah. Oh. yeah. And the guy that was in Rent is like her treasurer running me. And I'm like, oh, Seriously? I'm so invested in who's going to be the next SAG president. Uh, I bet you are. I bet you are. It's it's a pretty, the, the SAG after building, the SAG after federation, as it's called, I think. And it looks like everything a federation would look like. And uh, right off Broadway, uh, it's a very powerful union. Very powerful union. And I, I can't wait to join eventually when I do. But yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh I wish I was in so I could vote, honestly, right now. But damn, not not yet. <laughs> no, not yet. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, but I just was like, whoa, of all people to just come out to start running, I was like, sure, I'm yeah. invested. There you go. Absolutely. Let's see who wins. Yes. But you ready for the rapid fire question portion? Fire away. All right. We'll see. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's never rapid. Slow down. Uh, but... <laughs> all right. All right. All right. What are your chosen coping skills? Chosen coping skills. Uh, yoga, meditation, um, proper diet, and exercise. Wow. Look at you. You have those ready. Yeah. And that wasn't even one of the questions I sent. I don't send the rapid fire questions beforehand, <laughs> everyone. I'm but just quick. <laughs> if you could do yoga and you've been physical your whole life, can you do a split? I cannot do a split. I can get very close, though. Ooh, that should be that should be on your thing. <laughs> I can o- almost do a split, not 180 degrees, 165 degrees. Honestly, though, <laughs> it comes in so much mm-hmm. handy work, especially if because you have on their combat training. Mm-hmm. Because like a lot of the stunt work requires super flexibility. Right, those right, guys right. aren't flexible. That right. is a selling point. Like, if there's something I'm going to pitch to you today about your life, keep sure. your training on, but put that on too. Hey, you never know. It could be a movie about a, a like a private detective who just likes to do the splits randomly in the movie. That would be like a little comedic, comedic thing, you know? Yeah, I was thinking more like fight. I know what you were thinking. I was just being a clown. Uh oh, your screen has turned black, and now you're gone. Well, folks, the time is still running, so I guess I'm in charge of the podcast now. Oh, no, he's back. <laughs> I just had a little fun. I just, I'm in charge now. <laughs> I, I heard that part, but thank you for holding it down. I don't know what happened. It's like you lost the internet. I was like, I have five bars, whatever. So Crazy what I was saying was it's just that like in fight teams and stuff, because it's all dance-based, they want you to be flexible. So yeah, it's yeah. a thing. Absolutely. Um, all right, <laughs> next question. Team Edward or Jacob? Oh, God. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of that show, but I think that I would say Edward's the uh, Edward's the vampire uh, guy, right? Yeah. I, I like him as an actor now. I never used to like him, but he's warmed up. And, and Jacob hasn't done a lot in a long time, so I have to go with Team Edward. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which direction should you cut your sandwich? Uh, Diagonal, of course. Yeah. Which direction? 
Should you Direction. fold your napkin? Should I fold my napkin? Who? Um, right to left. I don't know why, but it just sounds like the right way. What gift would you want to get from a fairy? I want, uh, I want like some invisibility cloak, like in Harry Potter. Yeah, Ooh. so I can like walk around the halls and stuff and like not be seen. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Left or right Twix? Left or right Twix? The left Twix. Yeah, they're just they're just they're just a more accepting, open group of people, and you know, <laughs> 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 uh, you know, I I think I I I err on the side of the left Twix, you know, but yeah. What's a trend that went too far? Uh, Lip syncing challenges. Uh, on musically and TikTok, yeah. God, they're so hard though. I don't enjoy watching them, but I think they're kind of out now, anyways. So yes, they were. They went on for t- far too long. Far too long. I I almost lost my mind, but <laughs> I survived. What is one thing you would eliminate from life? Uh, hmm. Just maybe people that decide that they didn't pursue what they thought was best in life or, or, or they didn't have the courage to go after their dreams. So they're going to go around crushing the dreams of other people and trying to make them uh, see the realistic side of life. You know, I think a little bit of that, maybe being realistic can be important, but you know, uh, let that person come to that conclusion eventually on their own time. So, yeah. Oh, this is an interesting question for you. <laughs> Who would play you in a documentary or movie about your life? Uh, wow. I mean, that, that's so hard because I would probably say Patrick Swayze, but he, fortunately, rest his soul. Because um, I think that he probably would look the most like me. Um, ah, it's a, that's a good question. Um, actors right now? I, see, because I can't, I can't say like any of these young actors like i don't look like ansel elgord i don't think timothy chalamet i don't think i look like him at all you know uh the people i get the most of um the people say i look like or like or that i have a vibe of i mean people other people can say alex you don't look like this person or you do or i see that a lot everyone sees something differently but tom cruise uh patrick swayze heath ledger um, I've gotten so many, so many people. It's 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 it has lost its meaning. But many of those people, you know, I, I would say see. Heath out of all those people for you. Well, well thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love I love Heath. Uh, another another great actor we've lost. Ah, God, he he was fantastic. I'm floored your answer wasn't yourself. Well, I mean, yeah, but I, I figured, I figured in this, like, this, if I was playing myself in this movie, I'd want someone else, I want to see how someone else does it. Yeah, I, I, like, I okay. like that idea. Yeah. So. What genre would it be? Uh, of my life? Yeah. Mm, it would probably be more of a drama. I see myself more in that way. Um, but I don't know. The best movies that I like have elements of comedy, but I don't want to be a cop-out. The answer is drama with, with some subtle comedy. So, cool. Yeah. <laughs> if you stick to the status quo, which clique would you be in? Uh, well, back in the day, maybe a jock, but now I guess I'd be a theater guy, right? I'd be like uh, Zac Efron's character torn between two two sides of myself, like 
some sort of Romeo and Juliet tale, you know? And although you said that, what clique should you be in? Oh, okay. So then I would say definitely the theater, the theater, the theater click, but, but the jock click, I'd probably get, probably be, this answers that question. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And last one, if your life was a jukebox musical, what would be the opening song? Um, that chubby checker song, uh, Limbo, do the limbo rock, you know, that one, you know what I'm talking about? I was listening to that in the car today so that one yeah that that nice like like little levity in the beginning of the show the movie and then we get into the more dramatic stuff yeah it's a jukebox musical this genre so oh okay okay and then in this particular other movie that that i also get some other actor to play because i don't want to play myself for some reason uh (laughs) will also uh star whoever and 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 yes yes so (laughs) but Thank you. I'm so upset it's over, honestly. You were a great, great host. You did a fantastic job. I think that you're going to have more and more of a following as long as you keep doing these and maybe asking your guests. I don't know how would be the be- what would be the best way to do that, but maybe asking them to share it and stuff and getting it out on whatever. I don't know much about podcasts, but you, you did fantastic. Go- Thank great you. Work. You're welcome. I had a great time. But... As although I do ask them to share, the question is that the world probably has for you. How can they find you? How can they find me? They can find me on IMDb. It raises my numbers or oh my 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 uh, star meter. But I would say Instagram is the best way to find me at Alexander, spelled exactly the way you generally speak. Alexander, uh, spell Alexander like Penny. the great. Yes. P-E-N-N-E-C-K-E. Alexander at Alexander Penicky. Um, or on my website, panicky.com. Um, yeah, any of those. It'll be easy for you people to find you because your name's in the episode title. Fantastic. Also, I will drop the at in the description (laughs) (laughs) or show notes. I don't know what they call it in podcasts. I hear it called different things. Maybe it's pod notes. I don't know. That's, that's interesting. A question to be answered, but... Um, please do that. I appreciate you doing that. And this way they won't have to try and pronounce my name. Um, <laughs> it'll be really easy for them. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, you, you got it on a second try and I appreciate you trying to say it right. Most people are like, Penicky, Panic, Panic, Alex, Panic. I've, 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 some people, it's like, they don't even try, you know? See, but. and I always, th- that was the thing I was thinking about earlier too. I was like, why wouldn't it be like an E? Cause mm-hmm. I was thinking like Kaniki in Greece. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It, it it is like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Such a random reference. So this is what I was thinking about when I was making the social skills curriculum earlier about mm-hmm. the facial recognition. I was like, Kaniki, Panicky. Like, anyways. So yeah. Got it. Nah. So either Hoosers world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. If you do get super famous and get a super following, lead them here. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. And if you have any questions or just want to get in t- contact with Alex, you can message us at the shape of a star podcast and all major platforms, except for Twitter. It's just the shape of a star there because podcast was too big to fit in the title <laughs> and email the website. Yeah. Just all the same, the shape of a star podcast at gmail.com for the email though. 
All right. Thank you very much. Um, we're going on almost two hours, which well, I'm not saying that because I, I need to go, but it would be awesome if we could like end it right at two hours. If like the music stopped on two hours, I'm just kidding. No pressure. Like, no uh, pressure. We're already past that. <laughs> <laughs> we would have had it ended 20 seconds ago. Ah, it's just, all right. But we all could right. start the music at two hours. Go for it. Okay. So we got to burn like a few seconds. I don't know. This is your improv field. That's how we met, actually. We met because of improv. Did we really? Is that I, right? I came with Audrey to the Improv Association. That's thing. right. The Improv Association. I loved improv. For your listeners, do an improv class. That is the best actor training you will ever, ever get. Improvisation. All right. So much fun. On that note, satellites, catch us next orbit, and bye. Okay, and if you did stick around through that, this is like a post-credit scene, which is very film and movie-like. Yeah, so either Hoosers, thank you, world. Catch us next time, and all good. Bye.